0: Thank mm-hmm. To authors on the air I'm your host Pam Stack we're proud to be part of the authors on the air global radio network my guest today is um, an attorney in private practice who specializes in privacy and security interesting because of our times with large tech corporations digging into our personal information and probably knowing more about our family lines than most of us do Um, Reese Hirsch is is very well known in the thriller community because he writes cyber security thrillers. Um, he is, as I said before, he's a practicing attorney. His book, The Black Nowhere, was just released with a new character called Lisa Tanchik, who is with the FBI Cybersecurity Crimes Division. It's my pleasure to welcome to Authors on the Air, Reese Hirsch. Reese, welcome.
1: Thanks, Tans. It's great to be here.
0: Thrilled to talk to you. Um, uh, we were talking in the green room, and I said that I love techno-thrillers, and it seems like uh, this is an extension of techno-thrillers kind of gone really crazy awry with um, cybercrime, which is a huge problem nowadays, isn't it?
1: Uh, it definitely is. I deal with it every day in my legal practice, and uh the uh, crimes that, that black nowhere are based on uh, really are derived from a real incident involving the rise and fall of this dark web drug network called Silk Road. So this is the first book I've written that that does, you know, in a lot of ways mirror a real event.
0: Tell us a little bit about the real event and how you turn that into this book. Cuz this is a new character for you, correct?
1: Yes, it's the start of a new is, series. With, new
0: series, right?
1: With Lisa Tanchik, the special agent of the FBI, and the the idea behind this book started when I read some articles about uh, Ross Ulbricht, uh, you know, a young college student who founded the the dark web website Silk Road, and I was just blown away by by you know his Path. It was sort of like a real-life Walter White from Breaking Bad. And well, this, this likable, you know, a smart kid ended up being this enormous criminal kingpin who was controlling a large por- portion of the U.S. drug market. And what really struck me about it, because I advise a lot of technology companies and startups about privacy, was that his path was a lot like any successful startup. It just happened to be a criminal enterprise. But he, uh, he sort of shot to, uh, you know, to success, connected with an enormous audience online, made a lot of money, and and delivered something that uh, a lot of people wanted. It just happened to be something that was illegal. <laughs> did,
0: did he start off knowing that, that he was he was starting something illegal? I mean, was his intention to figure out how to market drugs through the Internet?
1: I think, uh, you know, I don't want to put myself in his head too much, but uh, I think he always understood that it was illegal. But he was a libertarian and believed that the government should stay out of people's affairs and, and that uh, he should have the ability to, you know, buy and, or people should have the ability to buy and sell things online without any government interference whatsoever so it was you know a total free market concept but the problem is it uh, it, it did a lot of harm too
0: yes obviously so with that in mind um having already written some cyber thrillers with your um prior books you created Lisa, Agent Lisa Tanchik. Would you tell us a little bit about this character? Because I found her to be fascinating. So she has flaws that she's aware of. Um, she's brilliant. But she still is an FBI agent who kind of doesn't fit in with the rest of the guys, does she?
1: Um, that's right. Yeah, you know, When I wrote the, the character of Lisa Tanchik... I was sort of speculating at first that that because the FBI is trying to adapt and and um, pursue cybercrime, they needed a, a new kind of agent. And uh, I know that those people are out there and working with the FBI, but I imagine that there would probably be some tension between these new, um, you know, geek agents and the sort of traditional square-jawed, gun-toting. FBI special agents. And so I built that into the dynamic of her character, and she faces some resistance within the Bureau. And later, when I uh, started talking to some former FBI agents, I learned that that is a real thing, that there is that, that tension within the FBI, because the people who are the best at tracking down cyber criminals tend to be not your traditional field agents. And so Lisa bumps up against that. And and advancing her career, but she finds her big opportunity pursuing this cyber criminal, Nate Fallon. She gets a chance to show what she could do.
0: So Nate is loosely based on the real life character from Silk Road, but he doesn't seem to me to have just evil intent. It, it just, it, it feels like underneath there, there's some good in this guy. Am I reading him wrong?
1: No, I I wanted him to be a a complicated character because uh, uh, my impression is that that Ross Ulbricht is a pretty complicated character. And uh, I think, you know, when Ulbricht was sentenced, I think the judge said something to the effect of, you know, clearly there's good in you and there's bad in you. I'm sentencing you for for the bad part. And I think that... uh, You know, my character of Nate Fallon, you know, starts his enterprise with, you know, some degree of idealism and thinking that he's doing a good thing and creating a community of sorts. And uh, I wanted to, you know, portray him sort of moving gradually and to the dark side and getting caught up in the hubris of having this successful startup where even though things are starting to go bad, he isn't willing to let it go because the party's got ego tied up in this thing that he's created.
0: Boy, hubris is the right word for it, isn't it? I, I, I oftentimes think when we see all these tech giants testifying before Congress and everything, they're very defensive of their, of their companies and, and what their companies do. And I believe they're probably idealistic and they think they're you know doing what is best but i often wonder you know i often wonder since as i said at the beginning of the show it seems like google and facebook and all those other companies have have a lot more knowledge about us than we probably do ourselves am i am i crazy and when i say things like that
1: no you are not crazy at all i i uh you know in my practice i advise companies all the time about what they can and can't do with personal information and uh yeah it can be very surprising just how much they know about you
0: and and i also wanted to oh go ahead no go no ahead. continue Oh, I was just going to
1: say, you know, when you're talking about uh, the founders of these tech companies, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg famously said uh, the motto of Facebook in the early days was move fast and break things. And, you know, I think a lot of people in Silicon Valley think that, that, you know, disruptive business models are always a good thing. They're a way to make a lot of money. But just because you can disrupt something doesn't always mean that you should. And that's kind of... What, what my book's about a little bit.
0: So, so let's talk about that a little bit more. And um, so for those who really don't understand what a hold that the tech giants have between Google, Facebook, and, you know, whoever the other ones are considered the large, largest one, Microsoft, um, what do they do with information that is mine?
1: Well, you know, all sorts of things, but a lot of it is, you know, delivering targeted advertising. You know, there's Uh no coincidence when you go and buy something online and and then the next minute, you know, you're getting ads for similar products on every social media platform that you (laughs) use. So, um, so, uh, you know, often it's about, you know, selling your data to sell you things. But, uh, you know, it, it could also involve all sorts of, activities and right in the privacy law world there's a new California law that's going to become effective on January 1 that's going to really change things in a big way so look out for that it's called the California Consumer Privacy Act and it'll give you a lot more rights to control what those companies are doing with your data
0: Now, hasn't the U.K. done something like that as well? They've limited um, what companies can collect from their customers?
1: Yes, there's a a law called GDPR uh, that applies to the European Union, and this new California law is sort of like bringing GDPR to the U.S.
0: Boy, wouldn't that be nice? But I wonder, you know, is the toothpaste out of the tube, and, and, you know, what can you do about it then?
1: Right, and, and and that's true on the dark web too. Because uh, when hackers steal your personal information, it often goes into big illegal databases where other cyber criminals can purchase it and exploit it and commit fraud with it. So it's definitely uh, you know you know out of the the tube there too.
0: Yes, yes. Um, I actually had a a breach of my personal security at a bank. So um and there was someone inside the bank that was doing something wrong. So it's everywhere. You you know I guess they say everybody has a price just I guess it depends on you know what your price is. So you you can't always be talking to companies saying, "Oh, you know, my employees are are pristine. They're 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 totally honest and all." Well, you know, that only goes so far I think when you have a commodity like that like personal information isn't that true
1: yeah that's that's definitely true and uh you know I, I sometimes say that if my books have a theme it's objects are closer than they appear you know like a <laughs> stencil on rearview mirrors because the exactly. internet brings you know all brings people together in lots of good ways but it also brings a lot of bad people right to your doorstep and your inbox and and that That kind of fear is something that I play on a lot in my books.
0: um I want to talk to you about some of your prior books because you have the Bruin uh series also, and are you going to continue with that or will you be um, uh, letting that one go and and continuing on only with this now new series?
1: Um, right now I'm concentrating on the Lisa Tanchik series and the mm. next uh, book in that series is going to be uh, Dark Tomorrow which is out on May 12th and so that's my focus right now. Uh, I won't say I, I'll never return to Chris Bruin and, Chris and, Bruin. and Zoe and Zoe right. Doucette his, his sidekick but um, but not for the time being anyway.
0: Wow, um, amazing to me that that there's so much of that going on in the world, and it it just it's you know you've got so much stuff to choose from, don't you? <laughs> when you when so many newspapers right. to pluck stories from. Reese, when you started your practice, um, was there as big a cybercrime issue as there is now?
1: Um, it's definitely become a much much bigger problem since I mm-hmm. started uh, practicing privacy law. Um, I, I started out in sort of the first internet boom, when everyone was full of optimism and hope, and, and sure. uh, you know things of. I, I think the 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 criminality of the Internet has really grown exponentially in recent years. And, and mm-hmm. now it's clear that you know no one is really safe if a sophisticated party really wants to target you and your information, um, because often even um, states, you know, the, a lot of the cyber crime is state-sponsored. So you're dealing with, you know, incredibly sophisticated adversaries who have, you know, all the resources possible to attack your personal information and when you're you know, facing off against something like that it's pretty hard for anyone to to really defend themselves
0: I know that you started your career as a journalist and um, is that why you were inspired to write full length novels
1: well I always wanted to write fiction ever since I was a little kid I took creative writing classes in college and and uh, you know, always told myself I was going to write a novel. Um, it just took me a little while to get to it. Uh, originally, journalism was a little bit of a fallback for me because I thought it was a way to earn a living writing when I wasn't sure I could pull off uh, writing a novel or at least making a oh living as a as a fiction but, writer.
0: But journalists don't make any money. I mean, <laughs> I, went I, Slover- I
1: learned that eventually. Yeah, I, went, <laughs> I, I, I did figure Slover- that out
0: for journalism and there was um i think the features editor was was one of our our college taught one of the college classes and he said if you think you're going to make any money doing this you're crazy you just really have to love doing journalism i mean you have to really want to be an investigative or whatever specialty journalist you want to be and you know that gave me pause and so I immediately switched my major to physical therapy <laughs> which is Very I did true. for years. You know, it was I didn't want to be poor. I mean, I liked journalism and I liked reading and I liked writing, but you know <laughs> um, I wanna go back Smart to your move. first book. Thank you. <laughs> I think I did okay. <laughs> the Adversary. This was inspired by real life world changing hacking, virusing, viruses. I remember reading about this. Perhaps you could give us the real story and then tell us about the adversary because I like this book a lot.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Uh yes, um you know, it it also is inspired by uh real incidents, uh, particularly the Stuxnet computer virus which was um you know, created by the U.S. intelligence services and the Israeli uh, intelligence agency to basically sabotage Iran's nuclear program. And it was a very sophisticated virus that was able to target these nuclear centrifuges and make them go haywire and blow up. And the world had never seen anything quite that sophisticated before. And so, my book supposes that you know, once that kind of virus is out there in the world, um, it can be used for evil purposes as well. And so The sure. Adversary is about taking that kind of supercomputer virus and turning it back against us.
0: Now, um, is it true that in the real, the real virus that you were just telling us about, did it falter at any time?
1: Well, um it did its job. It definitely um set back Iran's nuclear program for a, a couple of years probably. But uh it did malfunction a little bit because it was supposed to destroy itself, but that part did not work properly, which means that um you know it's it's not like a a bomb or a missile that you launch that uh, explodes on impact and is gone right. that, that it didn't self-destruct. So that code is out there in the world for uh bad guys to exploit.
0: Now, um, Is this when we started hearing about patches for our Internet so that it wouldn't get wiped out? And, you know, don't turn on your computer on this particular day and time because there's going to be a a virus swipe through. I mean, a lot of it is nonsense, but um, I do remember there being a lot of chatter in the news about that. And and people were concerned that there would be massive computer blackouts and, and just the systems would go down. Did that
1: ever happen? Um, yes, <clears throat> there was the uh, NotPetya virus uh, last year, and uh, these things do are starting to happen with increasing frequency. Like uh, the, the city of Baltimore was uh, hacked, and a number of its systems were crashed, you know, based upon a virus, and um, it's happening constantly.
0: Now, um, is ransomware, uh, uh, which is another type of of implanted virus, is ransomware something that you will be talking about? And and maybe you should explain what that is for listeners in case they don't know. Because I think several cities have had to pay ransomware to have their systems released. Is that true?
1: That is very true. And uh, in my book, Surveillance, I... uh, portray a hacker who specializes in ransomware and he uh, exploits a law firm by and a ransomware attack basically involves you know malware that encrypts your data and basically uh, the hacker asks for a ransom or a payment in order to decrypt the data and if they don't get paid then the, the data could be lost forever unless it's been properly backed crazy. up.
0: Right? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I have read, I, I read a lot of those, uh, well, you know, <laughs> not for nothing that I'm on a digital system, but here, but I read a lot of geek stuff, and um, I, I read that that companies that design software are constantly sending out messages to their customers to use patches and to do updates to prevent ransomware and hacking, and that most large corporations do not pay attention to that. Is that true?
1: Well, um, if they know what's good for them, they'll pay attention to those patches. But um, the really dangerous uh, event occurs. It's called a zero-day event. And that means that it's a previously undiscovered vulnerability that the hackers know about, but no one else does. So, you know until a patch is developed and countermeasures are created um they have a clear path to attack computers and exploit data so uh, a zero day event is a very bad thing
0: oof i would imagine um i i so enjoy your writing style um it's v- the the action moves very very fast and um the books are really solid really well written i i I thank you. I have I have to tell you that again it's probably my favorite kind of thriller to read uh because I'm so fascinated by the things I don't know. <laughs> Shame on me, but it's true. Um you have these books under your belt. You've got 5 books now out with a 6th one coming in in May. Right. You but you were just published for the first time in 2013, is that right?
1: Uh no actually there's one before the adversary that ah. came out in 2010. It was ah. uh, the Insider and uh, uh-huh. that one yes that one is a um, standalone legal thriller that uh, I wrote when I was coming up through the ranks as a as an attorney and it's about a young attorney in San Francisco and things go he makes partner in his law firm and then things go horribly, horribly wrong for him in a lot of different ways, including an encounter with the Russian mob. Oh, geez.
0: Um, Well, you were a finalist for the Thriller Awards Best First Novel for that one, weren't you?
1: That's right. That's right. I was really uh, happy to get
0: that. Congratulations! That's something. Be, considering all the all the books that come out and are nominated, that's really something. I know that the list is not long, so good for you. I I think it's fabulous. Can you give us a little idea of what's going to happen in the next Lisa book, Dark Tomorrow?
1: Well, um, it I think it ratchets up uh, the action and uh, the stakes from even the first book because mm-hmm. it. Um, it sort of takes off from the role that Russia played in uh, in hacking the 2016 election. And mm-hmm. it imagines a scenario where the United States, and particularly the East Coast, is under full-on cyber assault. And so it looks at a country that's been thrown into chaos, and Lisa has the job of trying to uh, identify a particular hacker who – plays a key role in it and so it it's uh it, it looks at the line between cybercrime and cyber warfare when another country is involved
0: so is that the difference when another country is involved it is considered cyber warfare
1: um yes i think uh there we're still figuring out what constitutes an act of warfare uh in cyberspace but um you know, and I think that uh, there's certain a certain low level of conflict between countries in the cyber realm that occurs regularly, but mm-hmm. uh, but then there's you know another level to it too, you know that where things escalate and Dark Tomorrow looks at what that sort of full blown escalation would look like.
0: Reese, how long has this cyber warfare been going on? I think a lot longer than most of us uh, realize who are not in well, a position like yours, you know, who, who knows about these things. Yeah. It's, it's, you know,
1: been going on for a while, but it's not that old a phenomenon. Uh, one of the first uh, well-publicized incidents was uh, between Russia and Ukraine, uh, you know, where, you know, there was sabotage related to, you know, the, Ukrainian elections and a number of different attacks that have been ongoing. And that's also a springboard for dark tomorrow. I have a a very cranky uh, Ukrainian security consultant who sort of becomes Lisa's uh, sidekick in in her adventures.
0: When you you said that I had to chuckle, I'm thinking, aren't all Ukrainians kind of, you know (laughs) – A little crabby. (laughs) Right. In my experience,
1: (laughs) anyway. (laughs) They have a lot to be crabby about these days.
0: Yeah, a little cranky (laughs) there. So, yeah, I would think so. Um, Let me talk to you about some other things. Um, Whose book are you currently reading?
1: Um, Well, I'll I'll tell you what I just finished. Uh, It was Recursion by Blake Crouch, which I thought was amazing. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was a real, real mind bender, and then also really, um, really uh, moving and and thoughtful too. So an amazing book. And then
0: he's he's quite a writer. I I agree with you. I like his books a lot.
1: I think he's awesome, and he was kind enough to blurb uh, Black Nowhere too. So I appreciate Uh, that. But I'm starting um, Jar of Hearts by Jennifer Hillier. Jennifer Hillier, of course. Yeah,
0: it's an awesome Um, book. She was our, um, she was our, uh, I think book of the year last year, thriller book of the year. It did not work. We have a, a, an awards every December, and I think she won for book of the year. She's really good, well, and I'm she's got a, a new it, one Very well out. deserved. It is. She's really awesome. Do you ever read across genre?
1: Um, I do. I do. I I read, uh, you know, sometimes literary fiction and, and uh, nonfiction, all sorts of things. So, uh, but uh, I don't get to read as much as you do, I'm afraid, though, because with a full time legal job, I have to sort of pick my titles very carefully.
0: Well, you know, I'm older and I'm retired, so that's why I get to read and and still have fun doing this. I will make a recommendation to you. Um, Just before you were on, Alan Eskins was my guest, and his new book is fabulous. If you want to read something, just it's a really coming-of-age story with a little mystery in it, but his writing is quite stylish, and I like it very much. So uh, pick up an Alan Eskins book. He's a great guy.
1: I am. I'm going to have to do that because I was on a panel with Alan at VoucherCon just a couple of yep. weeks ago. So, yep. okay, I'm yes. putting it on the list.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he's terrific. Tell everyone where we can find you on the web and if you use social media.
1: I do. Uh, my website is research.com, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um how, a little less on Instagram, you, but I'm working on it. How
0: do you find time for that? You you write books, you I mean, full-length, very fascinating novels. You have a very interesting law practice. Um, you, I know you go to conferences because I've seen you there. How do you find time to squeeze in social media?
1: Well, I am not as good about it as a lot of writers I know. I I, I you know I try, but. Uh, I am not somebody who is constantly being witty on Twitter, but uh, <laughs> but I do enjoy it. I do what I can. I, I there do you I go. I,
0: I think I think that's the thing. You do the ones you like, and then you know the heck with it. I'm I'm very bad at Twitter. I I I don't understand really how to use it appropriately, even though I actually had a panel discussion so I could learn. And I will tell you, I also have never listened to an audio book. Um, I just like reading a lot. I like being able to flip back to pages and so on. Um I'm afraid to start on Instagram because I'm afraid I'll spend too much time putting up like cat pictures.
1: <laughs> well, I have a very cute little dog, a Brussels Griffon, and I'm about to turn him oh. loose on Instagram. <laughs> oh,
0: sorry. See that's the whole thing the the dogs of Instagram and the cats of Instagram. I know that that's like a really big thing. I I have to tell you I give you snaps for for doing that. I just I just can't do it. I don't want to. <laughs> you got to your spot. Yeah, you really do, I think, you know. I'm I'm plenty active on Facebook. I have that fed over to my Twitter so I you know, once every 3 months I'll go and look at it and LinkedIn I go like every 6 months so. <laughs> but but um i want to thank you for being my guest today i've really enjoyed our conversation i hope that you'll come back again um when the next book releases but in the meantime let me make you an offer is there someone you is there someone you'd like to play guest host to on my show is there an author you'd like to interview
1: oh okay well uh you know uh uh one of my Bay Area buddies is uh Terry Shames and
0: uh Well, let's uh, get Terry fun. on. She's fabulous. Yeah. Okay. I can, so I'll, I'll
1: think about some others too if you like. I'll I'll message you. But uh, but yeah, yeah, that would be fun. Too.
0: Well, you have my phone number. You can text me or call me whatever you want and um and let me know. I love Terry. It's been a uh, a little while since she's been on and I love her books. So I'd love to set up an in-conversation interview with you too.
1: That would be awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks, Reese. I did too. And I want to thank listeners for being with me tonight. The book is Black Nowhere. The author is Reese Hirsch. Go and get the book. And by the by, his other books are on sale right now, three of them for 99 cents apiece, which I clicked and bought today. Go get those books. Remember to support your, the people that you, whose books you love by just dropping a 10-word review on Amazon it really makes a difference thank you for being with me Reese thank you listeners and thank you mom and dad I'll see you later <music>